Friday, June 28th at Hungry Brain in Chicago. It's our Pride Show and podcast recording. Music, drag, interview, comedy, panel, and Q&A. Sponsored by Rowan Tree Counseling. Get your tickets at wildandsublime.com or go to links in the show notes. So what we try and do in somatic sex education is to create a space and an experience of empowered choice and voice. And so things come into balance and you get a feeling of what is it like to feel this way? And once you feel it, it's like a portal into a new way of living. Welcome to Wild and Sublime, a sexy spin on infotainment, no matter your preferences, orientation, or relationship style. Based on the popular live Chicago show, I chat about sex and relationships with citizens from the world of sex positivity. You'll hear meaningful conversations, dialogues that go deeper, and information that can help you become more free in your sexual expression. I'm sex educator and intimacy coach, Karen Yates. In this episode, I talk with somatic sex educator, teacher, activist, and author, Kath and Jesse, about their long career helping people expand pleasure, heal from trauma, and more. Keep listening. Are you interested in getting more wild and sublime? Our members on Patreon can partake in Q&As with experts and receive my audio notes every month, in addition to getting discounts to merchandise and live shows. Plus, members receive the latest news about Wild and Sublime first, like show dates and more. When you join, you'll also get my heartfelt gratitude that you are helping spread the message of sex positivity around the globe and helping us meet our monthly expenses. The link is in the show notes or go to patreon.com forward slash wild and sublime. Hey, folks, welcome to season three of the Wild and Sublime podcast. It is good to dive in again. As I mentioned in the last episode of season two, a few weeks back, season three will focus a bit more on embodiment. In other words, how we can be more fully in our bodies to experience pleasure and sensation. But I'll also be continuing the eavesdropping series, conversation with various panelists and much more. And with season three comes some news. The live show is returning again, which is so exciting. And you can get more information on that and sign up for updates at wildandsublime.com. We have a February 12th show in Chicago coming up. In addition to all of that, I am expanding my offerings to couples as an intimacy coach with a somatic focus. And it is so cool that Kef and Jesse and I will be discussing aspects of somatic work in this episode. So because of all of these new endeavors, I am moving the podcast back to every other week, but also including a lot of bonus episodes. So really not cutting back so much, but sort of cutting back. So there you have it. And that's not to say that eventually I might not get back to every week, but for now, pulling back just a bit. So on to this week's episode. Kev and Jesse, my guest this week, is very special to me. There are many writings on somatic sex education, such as The Science of Sexual Happiness, Intimacy Educator, Pelvic Pain Clinic, and others have influenced me hugely. And more importantly, I studied with Jesse at the Institute for the Study of Somatic Sex Education in Canada, which they co-founded with Captain Liam Snowden and Corrine Diachuk, both of whom have been on the podcast as well. 
Somatic sex education is a continuation and expansion of the sexological bodywork tradition, which was recently featured on Gwyneth Paltrow's Sex, Love, and Goop series on Netflix. Instead of using methods employed within talk therapy, somatic sex education focuses on the body as a way to heal from trauma and learn to expand our pleasure capacity. Prior to becoming a somatic sex educator, Kath and Jesse was a queer activist and artist who authored Orientation, Mapping Queer Meanings in 2004, which challenges conformity by engaging the powerful archetypes underneath homophobic stereotypes. In today's conversation, Catherine and I discuss their awakening to somatic work and its power to change people, as well as how the somatic sex ed community creates dynamic support and a living, evolving ethics structure. Enjoy. Kath and Jesse, welcome. Oh, Karen, it's so nice to be here speaking with you. Thank you. It is so nice being here with you. You currently are in Canada, and can you let me know the tribal territories that you're on? I'm on the unceded territories of the Hukuminim and Senchathan-speaking people, which is colonially known as Salt Spring Island. And that is very close to Vancouver Island, correct? Yes. Yeah, Yeah, right in between Vancouver and Victoria on Canada's west coast. Yeah. Little island. And... I am on the territories of the Potawatomi, Ojibwe, and Dawa, as well as many, many other nations that moved across this area, which is also known as Chicago. Well, welcome again. And I would love to begin this conversation with you, with you reading a bit from a book you wrote called Intimacy Educator. And I came across this uh, a couple of days ago, and I thought it would be such a beautiful start to our chat. And can you set this up, what you are about to read for the listener? Well, I was in my 40s already before I found this field. And I'd experienced a lot of early life trauma. I'd done a lot of, you know, experienced a lot of impacts and then done a lot of healing, therapy, recovery, different things. But I had never really gotten to the body-based aspects of that healing. I mean, in those days, we didn't know so much about how trauma gets lodged in ourselves and under our skin and and has an ongoing impact throughout life. But that came to my awareness through doing a series of bodywork sessions that it triggered all this body awareness of early life trauma. And then it also ignited this kind of erotic energy that like it wasn't directed at that time in my life, I had nowhere to put this erotic energy or no way to express it that wouldn't destroy my life. But it it felt like just a life force energy that I wanted, I needed to connect with, and I just didn't know how. And so I just was in this quandary and feeling really lost. And I stumbled my way into the world of body-based sexual healing just because I so desperately needed it. It's like I would have had to invent it, except that it already existed. (laughs) And, you know, I tried to find practitioners. And then what I'm going to read you, the first couple of pages from my book, are the time I finally found the practitioner that would become my mentor and teacher. But it was like she was able to touch me in the way that I needed to be touched to find a healing of that early life trauma 
and just open up this life of joy that I've been able to live into in these last couple of decades. So I can read that. Tears poured down my cheeks as I told Mariana, I just want my genitals to be touched with healing intent. I ache to explore my sexuality, but receiving genitally focused sexual touch from a lover didn't feel possible or inviting. I wanted genital touch that was slow and careful, that aimed to soothe and awaken. I wanted an integration of sexually sensitive areas with my whole body. Mariana paid attention to creating a container for the experience. Her little house was clean, bright, airy, and private. She carefully locked the door behind me. She did a smudging and a blessing. She showed me a Mary Magdalene icon, her patron saint, the sacred whore and gave me a beautiful rose. These acts and objects function to frame the experience as a transformative and sacred ceremony, a space and time of enhanced safety, freedom, care, permission, and choice. Mariana helped me hold my attention on my breath throughout the massage, and this kept me anchored in my body as much as I could be at that time when my lifelong habit was dissociation. We began with me lying on my belly. I felt safe. It was lovely how she leaned her weight into me and I could feel her body against mine. Her skillful massage was relaxing and enlivening. Usually I crave a very deep touch, perhaps because it helps me stay present. But her lighter pressure felt perfect in this moment. Her breath on my back and my ass was a delicious counterpoint to her hands. As she stroked my whole body, I felt my muscles and my fears release. When she first put her hand on my vulva from behind, just placed it there, I was really ready. I felt the erotic energy streaming in. So often I get shut down, numbed out, or dissociated from this wonderful force. What is it? Power, energy, sweet feelingness, softening and opening, joy and aliveness. It is rooted deep in my body and yet not me. It is a greater power. By the time I turned over onto my back, I felt able to be that open and vulnerable, leaning over me with her hand underneath, pulling, lifting, and rolling. Mariana communicated a commitment to my body and my pleasure with her touch. At my vulva, she held still for a while, touching without friction and invited me to breathe into her hand. Memorable genital strokes included deep pressure on the bones, slapping and vibrating the pubic mound and pressing the labia together. It was so good to feel a release of my chronic pelvic clench. Mariana asked whether I wanted any internal touch, the question in itself, a part of switching the paradigm from penetration to drawing in. As a trauma survivor, I needed to learn how to find and communicate the nuances of yes and no in my erotic responses. How empowering it felt to be listened to as I haltingly articulated what I wanted, as I slowly learned to feel my way into what that was. With Mariana's finger inside me, I felt derailed by a familiar pain. Catching my body's clench, she stayed still and allowed me to slowly open. The pain released and I could move against her hand. With deep breathing and genital touch, I felt waves of erotic energy coursing through my body. 
up my torso and through my arms and hands. I felt held in all the untouched places, stimulated and open to wave after wave of this energy and power. I used my breath to achieve a sense of climax, releasing and letting go. She stayed with me until I wanted more. I felt another climax, not exactly an orgasm, but a force field shaking every fiber of my being. Mariana kept her hand inside as I came down and detumesced. I felt my body and my heart so open. I was living a deep connection with ancestors, animals, lovers, and the earth. Mm. Wow. That is so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. I asked you to read that because I, I just found it to be such a beautiful explication of what a powerful somatic sex education session can look like. And there was so much in what you recounted, this idea of, well, I'll have you tell me and tell us how this experience, a somatic sex education session, how does it Although we can see from the words, see what you said, how does it differ from a regular erotic massage? It doesn't necessarily. I mean, an erotic service provider, there's like a certain cultural context where you go to an erotic service provider to add something to your existing life. But I think like in somatic sex education, there, there can be an invitation to a little bit of a different context where you go to perhaps share more intimately about who you are and what your life is and in the context of of longing to restructure your life somehow. So it's similar to as you go to therapy, you go to share most intimately of yourself in the framework of a longing for a, a life restructuring. Another difference is people that have studied to be somatic sex educators are deeply imbued with an understanding of the neurobiology of trauma and how that can prevent us and how like all kinds of pressures around sex and sex negativity in our culture can prevent us from feeling empowerment around our choice and voice and where we so often go into enduring unwanted touch or feel like we we have to constantly manage threats or be somebody. But uh, in somatic sex education, we're really trained and experienced in this, like supporting people in the ongoing discernment of what do you really want. And there's that attunement to the the one uh, that you're with, that when I was an untrained erotic service provider, I just, I didn't have that cultural context and community of support to do that. Not to say that regular erotic massage can't be healing and transformative. It, it can be. And uh, in the somatic sex education community, we just create like the broader context, education and community support that makes that more probable and more. Yeah. And, you know, as I listened to um, what you wrote, one thing that struck me this time, because I've read it several times, is the power that got unlocked that was bound up in the tissue of your body. This detonation that occurred of the erotic life force. And you said, as you were setting up this reading, you were talking about, if I heard you correctly, it was almost like the fear perhaps of the erotic to destroy like what you had, that there, there, there was a sort of a clench, a clenching due to like, oh my God, if I actually tap into this, 
who knows what's going to happen? Well, really, I mean, it is a huge force. Like uh, to me, I feel it's like life force energy surging through us. And there was good reason to keep it tamped down because I didn't have like, it felt like, how do I access that with efficacy and power and being guided by the values that I hold that I want to live life by. So to actually weave that life force energy into my purposeful values guided life that took some doing some support some like physical experiences of or lots of them and ongoing physical experiences of knowing this is possible this this works (laughs) yeah because i'm thinking about the pushing down that so many of us do whether you're not or whether you're not out sexually about your various preferences your orientation, it's a pushing down or say you you have a particular kink and that's that pushing down. And it's not a complex action. It's just pushing. It's just, it's almost a binary. Yes, no, no, no. And then once the yes comes out, the fear is like, oh, it's going to be just this fire hose of power and my, my life. I mean, I can relate. Yeah. Well, it can be right. I mean, we probably experienced that or like all of a sudden, like erotic, comes through and like, well, like suddenly your life is upside down and, you know, you've run off with somebody completely different. Yeah, that can happen. And so to me, it's this idea of the spectrum of response or the old fashioned garage doors were either just like shut or open, but the newfangled ones, you can like slowly open. (laughs) (laughs) So that you can explore like this whole spectrum of like, oh yes, life force energy. Ah yes. Yeah. Yeah. To have build capacity and muscle and experience and support and joyful community around nuanced embrace of that Mm. Mm. life force energy. Because yeah, if your choice is just either no or yes, then uh, that can be really Harmful, right? Yeah. I'll return to my interview with Kath and Jesse in a moment. Many of Jesse's books can be found on bookshop.org, our affiliate program that helps independent booksellers and Wild and Sublime. That link is in the show notes. Wild and Sublime is supported in part by our Sublime supporter, Full Color Life Therapy. Therapy for all of you at fullcolorlifetherapy.com. Back to my interview with Kath and Jesse. In this segment, we talk about trauma in the body, somatic healing, and how they went from those first life-changing somatic moments with a body worker to beginning a school. So I know you had quite a journey from that moment to this present day, but can you tell us a little bit about what happened from that moment, from that session to really embracing it? Was it a long process for you? Was it fairly quick? Well, it really was fairly quick. I just, it was so compelling to me. And like, I felt so excited and alive. Like once I found this practitioner and realized about her work and the doorway to all the other work of Joseph Kramer and sexological body work, it was just like, this is where I belong and started a a practice that uh, just a couple of days a week as a bit of a hobby. And then I quickly realized like, oh, wow, I'm actually earning as much <laughs> in my hobby as I am in my everyday job. So I, I don't know, I opened a studio and 
just started to work with people, you know, did some training. I mean, once you open the door of sexuality, it's just like, there's just so much to go on learning and integrating. I felt like I could integrate all that I was bringing through my years of life as a teacher and a queer activist and a writer and that that belonged and it was needed by the profession. So yeah, started to contribute my own ideas and books and teachings and bits and pieces. So You have many books now. And, and then eventually you came to start the Institute for the Study of Somatic Sex Education, where I met you with Captain Liam Snowden and Corrine Diachuk. So one thing I wanted to ask you about, even though the word somatic is starting to enter the mainstream, I think people still scratch their head a bit. I was looking in your book, Pelvic Pain Clinic, that you wrote with Ashana Farabaugh, and you say, our use of the word somatic conceptualizes the body not as a static object, but as a living dynamic intelligence that guides us if we pay attention. Soma is the living body in its wholeness. I think that's such a beautiful way of uh, describing uh, the word soma and somatic. There is an intelligence. And what I loved that you wrote in that book, that you both wrote, was this idea that you don't necessarily have to throw your brain out <laughs> with this with this type of work. Can you explain a little bit? I would like to talk a little bit about the brain-body split. Yes, I love our brains, but I just, I don't want them to rule because I want my brain to keep like noticing and accounting for and being guided by the whole of me. So all the molecules and cells of me are constantly generating information, guidance, sensation that is very old and wise. And all the stardust of me has its opinions, its attractions, its repulsions, its all kinds of magic is going on, like in the living body soul in its wholeness. And yeah, for the brain to just think like that ideas should rule or concepts should rule. It's, it's a very reductionist kind of approach that can really get us in trouble. But our brains are wonderful at like having awareness and f focusing on the whole of us. And it's a very important part of our nervous system. So yeah, not to privilege body over brain or brain over body. It's about the integration, even the, the ways that our, our neurons work and everything, the, the sparkle and the hum of the neurons in our brain to, to think in the awareness of that and um, feeling how our, our brain is actually working in an embodied way. Yeah. And I'm thinking right now about is the word trauma is also entering the mainstream and there's the beginning of the understanding of Porges's polyvagal theory and through Bessel van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps the Score, and your work, The Science of Sexual Happiness. And our nervous system becomes impacted when we are traumatized. Can you talk a little bit about how somatic sex education or somatic sex ed sessions can help restore? Like, what is happening? What is happening in a session, say, that begins slowly? to reset the nervous system. Can you talk about that whole phenomenon? Well, Bessel van der Kolk, in an early paper before he wrote his book, he talks about like feeling efficacy and power 
in places where we felt trauma and disempowerment. So that's the experience. Like what happens is when we experience trauma and and there's so much trauma around sexuality and there's also ongoing trauma. So it's not like many people have trauma in their past, but there's also the ongoing trauma of the dominant culture that's always oppressing people in all kinds of ways around their bodies and and sexuality. So what we try and do in somatic sex education is to create a space and an experience of empowered choice and voice and how that can actually impact our neurochemistry, how that can impact the condition of our ourselves and the feeling of our souls that we experience a place apart from the dominant culture where all of us is welcome, it's wanted. There's time to wait until we're ready. We can change our mind at any moment. We can make mistakes and and figure out how to fix them. This alternate cultural space that's experienced in an embodied practice. So, yeah, what's happening is like within that space, the corrosive neurochemistry of trauma and distress gets to be resourced by a different kind of neurochemistry. The neurochemistry of it that happens when we have safe and wanted touch and respect and self-respect. And so things come into balance and you get a feeling of what is it like to feel this way and once you feel it it's like a portal into a new way of living i mean i've seen this again and again over decades and felt it in myself you get that portal you don't have to go back like you go through because your body knows it can guide okay like i don't want to be in this toxic stress and distress. This feels better. This is the way for me. And you keep going. You keep going into a way of life that works for you. And that way is, it's a relational matrix, I call it, like a way of being in connection with other human beings and also with yourself. Who am I? What do I really want? Like, that's so radical. Like, not what do I have to do to get by, to get better, to be different, who am I and what do I want? When you're in that inquiry, then everything changes. And that's the experience as I describe it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking about with the traditional massage, even Swedish, not even erotic work per se, but there is always this, the practitioner is in charge and you are the body on the table that is being acted upon. And that situation is reversed in a somatic sex education session because the practitioner does not do anything without the ongoing active consent of the client. And this is a game changer. This is completely a game changer because you're checking in with yourself. If you are the client, you're checking in and being like, okay, where am I now? Because it's this idea of what would give me, the practitioner is asking what would give you more pleasure, right? And that is the, one of the critical questions that's being asked. Would you like more pressure? Would you like less? Would you like 
more of this or less of this. And so that that empowerment at that level leads to more empowerment and a reorientation. Yeah, I've recently written for a, a new course I've got up on my website of uh, a whole thing about how central massage, as I practice it in the context of sacred intimacy, is not therapeutic massage because of that sort of fixing paradigm of the therapeutic massage uh, practitioner, which is wonderful when we need it, like it's sore shoulders, here you go. Whereas in the way I practice the sensual massage, it's that there's nothing to fix. It's like you are in charge and, and what would bring more pleasure. At the same time, I think having an extended massage session, it can give us a bit of a portal into how we want our bodies to feel, right? Because it can be so lovely to have, like, just feel our bodies touched and in safe and wanted ways and just feel the relaxation into to having a, a great massage. So I do want that massage training, like knowing how to confidently touch and understanding the body's anatomy and getting lots of practice touching bodies becomes an important part of training to offer this kind of work because sometimes what the person wants or what would bring more pleasure is that they'd like a nice massage and then the body can find like this ease and this this opening where the erotic can start to to flow through more freely so yeah with that yeah that change in who's in charge and and that there's nothing to fix the deliciousness of massage is really good to integrate into into our sessions Yes. Thank you for bringing that up. Yes. It's not always just like minute by minute checking in. Yeah, it's, it yeah. is, it's a combination, a combination of those dynamics. Yeah. I'm also, and I think it came up in your, the excerpt that you read of your book, Intimacy Educator, you're talking about the stillness, which is such a critical part as well. The stillness, as I see it, of allowing, um, allowing something to settle in allowing, I don't know, we talk about the savoring, which comes afterwards. There's this allowance piece, no movement. But the movement, there is a movement, but it's it's so deep and, well, it's still, there's a stillness. I find that to be one of the more powerful aspects of the work as well. Yeah. And that's where, like, the brain gets some practice attending to subtle sensations, right? Like when you just, say, put a, a hand on the genitals and just wait, like, yeah, I mean, I'm just putting my hand on my genitals as I say that and just noticing like all kinds of like subtle and not so subtle sensations start to arise just like with stillness. Mm, yeah, I'm putting my hands on my, gen- <laughs> my hand on my genitals like, yeah, I'm thinking about this idea, like how we compartmentalize the genitals away from the rest of our body, right? Yeah. And how much harm does that do, right? Like every part of you is touchable except this little six inch square part of you that it's like, who thought of that? <laughs> <laughs> I'll return to the last part of my interview with Kath and Jesse in a moment. As an intimacy coach, I work with couples in Chicago, helping them learn how to verbalize erotic desires in the moment and master skills of sensual cooperation. If you and your partner are looking for ways to more deeply connect to one another and get out of limiting patterns, I can help. 
Go to karen-yates.com for more information and to set up a free 15-minute consultation. In this last part of the interview, Kaffin and I talk about the changes I underwent during the training of being a somatic sex educator, the differences between sexological bodywork and somatic sex education, ethics, and sex work. So in your work, you're in retirement quite recently and not offering sessions anymore to people, but what are some of the changes you see in people as you continue to work with them? What happens? Well, so often I've seen this journey. I mean, such a joy and a privilege to be part of, really. I'm just, tears come of just people going from feeling like shame, dysfunction, whatever, like, how can I be fixed? How can I be different to just, oh, I matter. Like, I can contribute. Yeah, and just living this life of joy, really. I mean, I don't know. I'm curious for you. Like, what did you experience in coming into this work? Hmm. Well, there was an integration, right? There was this, I guess you could say the mysteries of the body, right? There were these profound images that were starting to surface for me, these powerful, yeah, powerful images that were a part of me, right? Uh, And they were starting to just arise and they were a part of me, Mm. right? And to be part of this community was huge, right? There was the work I was having done as part of the training that I was experiencing that was amazing. And also this, which is what I love so much about somatic sex education, this, this fluidity. It's not static. And so I get to, both as a practitioner and as a client, I get to be with my power as it continues to develop or as I continue to sense it or as I see how I change because I'm changing day by day. So to be able to locate my voice, that was very big for me. Locate my voice, understand how to communicate, understand what my preferences were. You talk about the three-legged stool of erotic massage, I think, and part of it is moving toward pleasure, being able to choose pleasure, whereas maybe before you, one wasn't choosing pleasure, which sounds strange. Why wouldn't you choose pleasure? But there are so many things in culture Mm -hmm. that keep us from pleasure. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot. Mm -hmm. And so to help the body orient toward pleasure on a daily basis, that was huge because I saw that I was keeping myself in a self-imposed cage. But before I say self-imposed, I'm also going to say culturally, in conjunction with culture. And that that pleasure, not only sensual pleasures, like moving towards sensual pleasures, but the pleasure of like living your own uniqueness, like your purpose. And when I think of you, like taking all these teachings in this community and integrating it with your theater background and like this unique you of you that you created wild and sublime and that you're you're doing this and you're contributing to the community in in this way like like that no one else could do what a pleasure <laughs> to find that unique you of you right and and that's what i see our community supporting that journey to know 
like, what is the one of me and how mm. can it be part of this larger us? Mm. And like that profound pleasure. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It was almost disorienting, I have to say, when I when I was first becoming acquainted with the community, because there was such kind of a radical acceptance, which kind of frightened me. I just was like, what? What is this radical acceptance? I don't know if I like this. I, aren't there any rules here, people? Come on. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and you do talk a little bit about that. You're such a prolific writer, I'm having trouble locating where I read it. But oh, I think it was in The Living Ethos about, and help me, you wrote it. It's this idea of right and wrong and being expelled from the group, right? I'm really writing quite a bit about that now. I have this uh, whole body of work on ethicsforoutlaws.com, but I think so much from European culture, and then that was brought over to the America with the colonizers, this idea that we create community by expelling those that are bad and unwanted. And that's how we know that we belong because we're like pushing out what's bad and unwanted. So all of us live in this perpetual terror of abandonment and all of us have to abandon those parts of ourselves that are considered bad and wrong so that we can have our provisional belonging. So it's a paradigm that we can change and we try to change in the culture that we weave where a whole bunch of outlaws get together and like here we are outside of everyday life outside of the village where all those rules apply what can we create together in this outlaw realm what's the ethics that emerge from from that place how do we know what's good and what belongs and how we belong when we're coming from the the outlaw experience not just to reproduce that experience by creating bad people and the rules of belonging as we've experienced in such harmful ways. And let me ask you, is the difference essentially between a sexological body work and somatic sex education, is part of it around this idea of ethics and also the vessel of somatic sex education might be a little larger than sexological body work? Can you explain this a little bit? Well, sexological bodywork is a modality that was developed by Joseph Kramer, and he is in charge of the curriculum, and he picks who gets to teach it around the world, and it's wonderfully taught all around the world by different teachers who have curriculum that they refine and add what they want. And then the way that I decided, like after teaching that with Captain for for some years, I decided, and Captain and Corinne agreed that we didn't want to anymore teach sexological bodywork on its own. We integrate it into the training that we offer under the description of somatic sex education. So everyone that goes through the training at the Institute gets to be a sexological body worker, a certified sexological body worker, and to join this global community. But what we wanted to do is teach that within a frame that integrated the understanding of the neurobiology, the uh, trauma-aware practices, the, the consent-building practices, the understanding of the broader frame of, of somatic coaching. And just generally, like we added a whole bunch more curriculum. We slowed the process down. We created more 
practice opportunities and more ways to practice. Sexological bodywork has a specific way that practitioners must practice. They wear gloves and the touch is only one way. In somatic sex education, we integrate, as we teach it, we integrate different ways, which might include interactive touch and mutual nudity, but within this frame where there's a lot more training and care and expectations around having a very careful practice of of building empowered choice and voice and um, all the other dimensions of that, that sort of the science of how that works and the uh, community support for, yeah, we, we feel it's very important that practitioners not be sort of lone wolves offering a specific practice, but that we create ethics by living in community and contributing to it. Yeah, I think that is one of the things that I appreciate the most is knowing the community is there and that I can tap into it whenever I want. There are a number of community calls a week that I can tap into, that any practitioner can tap into. In fact, I think I I also talked about it uh, in one of my sermon on the pubic mounds uh, many months ago, many, well, now, gosh, a couple of years ago. But, you know, once you start working, once I started working in sexuality or just started studying sexuality, there's immediately a separation that happens. You know, you're talking about mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. outside of the village. You're suddenly yeah. out, you're suddenly yeah. outside of the village. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, well, I mean, it's like, you know, that's where all the queerdos are. And that's cool. I mean, I'd rather be with the queerdos. (laughs) But but at the same time, having community and not getting ousted from the community becomes terribly important. Yeah, I mean, there's a definite danger, right? That when we're people that have been pushed outside of the village, we've experienced that trauma around belonging. Then we're out there as like in a place without rules. Yeah. How do we create ethical life in that. And yeah, that's where I feel like having a community of practice, having these regular calls, having these peer support networks where we know that if you've done harm to someone, you can call me, Karen, and I will be there for you. Like I will hear how hard it is, how you blame them, how it wasn't your fault, and then how it is your fault and how all the shame is bubbling up. I will be there for you not to let you off the hook or create a problem for the person that's brought this thing to you, but to help you be the person that you want to be and that you uniquely can be. That's what we do for each other in this community. Like we can make mistakes and still belong and make repair and do what's right, take the next step. And um, having that community of like queerdos and outlaws that are committed to like deeply ethical life and transformative justice. It's yes, this is what we need. When I'm thinking about the phrase sex work, because I've been on the podcast, I've been looking, we've been looking at sex work for the past couple of months in and out. And Captain Snowden recognizes somatic sex education as sex work in, in the greater tradition of healing sexuality. What's your thought about somatic sex education being sex work per se, or how do you, how do you place it? Yeah, I think it definitely is sex work and that can criminalize us in some jurisdictions. I think, you know, it's a privileged form of sex work because we have each other, because we have like mountains of neuroscience and ethics and all the things behind us that make us much less likely to face any 
criminal prosecution or civil suit. We have all kinds of practices around that. So, you know, it's definitely a privileged form of sex work and therefore a bridge between the world of sex work and the sort of world of normative belonging. I feel it's very important that we, you know, be advocates for the decriminalization of, of sex work and that we, you know, use our privilege in the service of, of justice and not to disavow connection with sex work. There's a certain temptation because we sort of built enough legitimacy in the world that we were starting to be more accepted as healthcare providers and professionals like that can be in dialogue with regular therapists and physiotherapists and doctors and so on, that there'd be a certain temptation to disavow connection with sex work. But that is not my choice. Like I, I advocate for that we use our privilege on, on behalf of all sex workers to make more cultural and legal space and do what we can to support decriminalization and prevent the violence against sex workers that, that comes from criminalization and the, the way that sex workers are despised creates so much precarity and violence for other sex workers that have less privilege. And many of the people that come into my programs over the years have been sex workers. These teachings in this community have found like a lot of sense of, yeah, just more empowerment, more safety and more connection and a place where they can feel belonging and dignity. I really appreciate you talking about SSE as a bridge career. I agree. I think it is. And it helps. I think it helps the therapeutic world, psychotherapists and physical therapists and all sorts of folks see the importance of this work, shining a light on this. So you are retired from teaching, maybe retired from doing session work, but you're very much not retired. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in other regards. Oh, I, I am. I'm loving sleeping in and going for long walks in the woods, but I always seem to have my little creative projects. <laughs> little, little creative mm-hmm. projects. What are you working on right now? And also, what are you working on now? But I also want to know, what was the retirement shift like for you? I know you're not very deep in, but. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, it feels good just to not be involved in the school and just feel so good about the, the teaching team that's there now. Now I wake up and I have no student dramas to attend to and nothing needs to urgently be done. So yeah, sometimes I feel a little lost because it's really different. Now I just, I have more space in my spirit for, yeah, just a little bit different stuff. Like what I'm doing, I've got this project ethics for outlaws. Yeah, I'm bringing in some of my experience in the realm of psychedelic medicine that I've never really talked about before. But now that I'm not... uh, teacher. And um, yeah, in, I feel like I can just bring that in and talk about all the ways that we're outlaws and where does ethics come like through that experience. And i uh, got a book I'm writing on ecstatic aging. And then I'm, I'm living that, you know, just, oh, how can things keep getting better and better now that I'm yeah getting older and older and having a bit more free time. So <laughs> mm. yeah, enjoying mm. the joys of, um, yeah, erotic exchanges and an erotic connection with uh, the earth and my walks in the woods. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, wonderful. It sounds delicious. Just delicious. Thank you, Catherine, for all that you continue to do for folks in search of healing. Thank you so much. For more information on Catherine, Jesse, and their work, 
and the Institute for the Study of Somatic Sex Education go to the show notes. Well, that's it, folks. Have a deeply pleasurable week. Thank you for listening. If you know someone who might be interested in this episode, send it to them. Do you like what you heard? Then give us a nice review on your podcast app. You can follow us on social media at Wild and Sublime and sign up for newsletters at wildandsublime.com. I'd like to thank associate producer Julia Williams and design guru Jean-Francois Gervais. Theme music by David Ben Porat. This episode was edited by the Creative Imposter Studios. Our media sponsor is Rebellious Magazine, Feminist Media, at rebelliousmagazine.com. 